Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bench Units podcast. Uh, James McSorley, Mark Schofield, both here to talk about the games that happened, uh, some of which we watched, some of which I played in. Uh, I, I love saying that, I don't know why it seems so stupid. Uh, yeah, Mark, how's it going? Yeah, it's good, man. You say both of us are here, should we disclaim at this point that I'm probably slightly more present than you are? Yeah, potentially. Um so we we had a big win yesterday, and uh, I then went out and had a nice time last night until like three or four a.m. So I feel a bit rough, which is not part of it, I guess. But yeah. So if I sound terrible, it's because I am terrible. So if you have nothing to say about any of the games, it's because you couldn't take them in when you're watching them, and if you have nothing to say about Skywheelers and Munsterland, it's because they didn't live stream that game. Yes, and if there's another game that's happening right now that I think it would be rude to watch while talking to you and talking to you all. So that didn't get done either. Also, if anyone's listening to this and goes, wow, James sounds better than he normally does, I'll just come on the podcast feeling rough every week. It'll be great. The James Harden of podcast hosts. get done with the night out, roll up, turn the microphone on and fire away. Yeah, just roll up for like 30, 10 and 10 for a podcast performance. Right, should we get to it? All right, let's do it. Cool. So first things first, Spanish League. This one happened on the Friday rather than the Saturday, which I don't know what the reason for that is. But this was Ucan Murcia 44 and Albacete 69. Do you think um, they were both like, hey, we're pretty close to each other. Should we just crack this out on a Friday and have a weekend? <laughs> yeah, fair point. Uh, this one went about as expected. I This one was so like run of the mill that when I was finding the stats to send over to you so we could do this, I had actually forgotten this one happened, even though it happened barely 24 hours before the rest of the games we were ready to talk about. Yeah, Friday games are weird, though. And this wasn't like... This was just Albacete are very good and didn't have to try a whole lot yeah. to get it done. Yeah, nice bounce back game for them after um, they struggled against you guys the other week. I did see, I think they put on their Instagram and it was like the English translation being Albacete reacquaints itself with victory. It's like, hold on, fellas, <laughs> you you beat Mercia. They lost to, I can't remember who last week, Vigo. They lost to us by 127 to 71, according to the stats. Now, also, it's like, hey, you've won every other game for the rest of this for the season, and you might win every other game for the rest of the season. Like, yeah, you'll be all right. (laughs) Don't pat yourselves on the back too hard over this one. Um, no, it's more. I'm I'm the opposite. I'm like, hey, you you dropped one by two points on what maybe was a bad call ten seconds to go. Like it's <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> You're still all right. Yeah, I, I I do find that funny. Like if we like if we beat these guys, and then like everyone's like, oh, that's a big one. Like ah, it's probably not. It's a big one for us, but yeah, they'll be fine. It does like. It is funny that we're just like the spanner in the works in the league. Like we can't, I, we, I don't think we're getting anywhere near it ourselves, but we'll be there or thereabouts in that mix now. And every game we take off someone who's thinking they might win it themselves is just more chaos. Yeah. Well, theoretically, yeah. But also if you take one game off everybody who's above you, you probably just knock everyone like 
they'll end up ordering out the same in the standings just with one additional loss each. And maybe that's enough that you supplant one of those teams rather than all of them. Oh, yeah. Like, that's what I mean. We're not going to do anything, but it, like, it shifts the balance slightly, potentially, especially if we've beaten, like, two of the teams above us and then we blow it against the other two, for example. It's like that could be doing people favors, but yeah, true. We'll see. This isn't about us. This is about. This is about Albacete and the fact that Fifi shot uh, nine from 11, Kyle shot seven from 13 uh, from two. This is, sorry, and Gaz seven from 10. Like that, That'll get it done. Albacete 50% for the game to 36% from Mercia on the exact same number of shots. That's yeah. probably... <laughs> Statistically <laughs> likely to get it done. Yeah, there's a... Um... Oscar and Rubio being plus 23 out of the 25-point win. And I think maybe the plus-minus is a little bit skewed because the most anyone from Albacete played is 30 minutes. But Oscar being plus 23 in 20 minutes probably means if a 1-5 is making that much difference, Mercia may have some structural issues. But also, Mercia's two main guys shooting a combined seven from 24 might also point to some stru- structural issues. So what yes. do I know? But also, I don't know, like I think a 1-5 having a massive plus-minus, like plus-minuses point classification-wise means a bit more in wheelchair basketball than it does in the running game where it's like this guy being on the floor facilitated these other guys being great on the floor and like that comes into a lot of it. Like if the stuff that he does, and it is a fact, the stuff that he does kind of lets other people do what they do so efficiently and so well, like that's probably why he's plus 23 as much as anything. Fair point. So yeah, just to round this off, because there's not a lot of getting beneath the surface on this one, but 20 points for Filipski, 14 apiece for both Gaz and Kyle. And then... Mercia with nine points by Jose Marin, I think is his name. Jose Sanchez, maybe. I, the Spanish Jose names. Marin. Yeah. Um, the Spanish names always do, do me, and I always pick the wrong one, even though I always know which one I should pick. I second guess myself. Um, you could say both, because that's technically right. Yeah, but they don't, right? It's like Hasso from your team, everyone calls Hasso, but I think his full name is Luis Eduardo Hasso Sandoval. And it's like, yeah. no, nobody's using all of those, man. Save yourself the time. Tried to get someone to call him Luis yesterday. And I was like, Hasso, what does your mum call you? And she was like, she calls me Hasso. And I was like, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, she calls me Luis when I'm in trouble. <laughs> I was like, all right, man. Imagine, imagine him being in trouble with his mum. Like it's just a, he's the most massive Mexican guy on earth. I imagine being shouted at by some tiny, like four foot ten woman. I don't know. Her, his mom might also be six foot something. Maybe Possibly. I don't know. Probably not. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyway, Mercia, one of two teams this week who played an entire game and didn't have a player make it into double figures. And to not overcook this, I say we just call that a losing formula. Sure. Yes. Um, Albazetti, good, Mercia, less so. All right, what's next? <laughs> Up next, we have got Mediba and Las Rosas. So this was Mediba 56, Las Rosas 39. This looked a little bit closer than expected because I think teams have been running out on Las Rosas recently, but I flipped this game on. This was 
the second earliest game going on at the same time as Trier and Cologne. So I was like catching this in the gaps of that one because that one was wild. And yeah, I had the stats up and saw Medieval were kind of like comfortably ahead, but not dominating. And they just kind of, they were very much on cruise control after the first quarter. I think it was 14-6 to end the first quarter. And then they won the second quarter 15-9 as well. So that, Madiba only scoring 29 points and a half isn't a great look for them against a team like this, but I think holding any team in the Spanish league to 15 points in the first half means you're probably in safe hands. Oh, yeah. Like, they're so good defensively, and also they were just absolutely at 50% offensively because that's all it takes. Also, once again, Las Rosas plays so slowly that Madiba only took 51 shots in a game, which is about 15 below, I would say, what they're average would be i'm not sure Uh, i don't have the capacity to get those stats in front of me currently but (laughs) you know what i mean like teams take 60 something shots in a game a lot of the time yeah um but yeah last says play super slow and medieval were happy enough to just obviously crush them defensively and then run out in yeah like some sort of transition and make layups like This is one of those games where, like, quite often, it's a weird one because quite often the team that plays slow will do what they can against a quicker team to use that to their advantage and be like, hey, this team probably scores better than we do. If we can bring the total number of possessions down, maybe we're in business. But you kind of watch this. Yeah, you kind of watch this game and you're like, there is no amount of playing slow that Las Rosas could do that would give them an advantage here like that. They're just not built to go up against this team. No, and as you as you say, like as you say, it might. As I said, it might be the difference between losing by twenty or thirty-five. Yeah, but you're still going to lose. Yeah, (laughs) Madiba, Madiba are great at this. Um, Las Rosas has actually got more shots up than Madiba did, which is weird. But yeah, yeah, they're just we've we've gone through this like week and offensive rebounds. I mean. Oh yeah, I guess they do have the um, they do have the size advantage. It was I'm actually surprised they got that have four giants on the floor at any given point. I'm not sure they do. Um, I think Madiba have four bigs, but Las Rosas have at least two guys who are big, big like Sal Salvador Zavala. Sorry, um, his name is Salvador Zavala, isn't it? The yep. Mexican guy. Um, yeah, he's like way, way bigger than I think you expect him to be. He looks kind of squat because he, I think he's just old and has been around so long. He doesn't look like as imposing as some of the other guys, but he's way I mean, bigger Chris- than you expect. Gomez is massive. Yeah. I'm actually surprised they got with, they got enough offensive rebounds given that most of their shots were absolute heaves. You typically don't like the offensive rebounds off that are pretty high risk because you either get them because they are so far off that they just bounce back to you and you're not even in an advantageous position off of your offensive rebound. Yeah, it's just it like spits it back out off the rim to behind the three-point line. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> Let, let's go again. Um, but yeah, like I think offensive rebounds aren't all created equal. I doubt any of those rebounds came because either Zavala or Gomez had worked their way all the way to the basket and it was just a simple putback. Yeah. Sorry, I'll let you finish your yawn. Sorry, I'm very tired. <laughs> I hope that wasn't picked up on 
the microphone. Well, me saying, sorry, I'm very tired. And you telling people that I'm yawning was definitely picked up. That just might give it away. Um, yeah, from the Madiba side, they're four bigs with double figures each. So 13 for um, Salvador, 14 for Lewis, 16 for John Hernandez, 11 for Phil. So that's going to get it done when Las Rosas are getting 10 and 12 from their two bigs. And oh, they got, um, I don't know this number seven. Who's he? Fernando, Fernando Cantero. Apparently, I have not seen him show up. The, the bald guy. Yeah. One oh, of the I have bald guys. He sits kind of mid height, doesn't he? Yeah, I've seen him. Um, yeah, three double figure scorers, plays four double figure scorers, and almost no contributed points from anyone else there's a five and a two elsewhere on this stat sheet so sure. that's yeah the numbers do add up and it adds up in Madiba's favor on this one <laughs> us just like checking on the stats is a consistent feature of this well it's it is because so there, there was that one of Ali Amadi where he assisted himself on every single basket oh yeah, yeah. that was weird that was weird. Just whoever was standing that thinks a dribble is a bounce pass. <laughs> All right. Next game. Uh Iberconza Amphi Vigo 68. Uh Sevigas Burgos 63. Man, I was so sure it was gonna happen. I don't know I if I was so sure that Vigo you was a big win, up. but I was so sure this was gonna happen, and subsequently it then didn't. Yes. Um, my favorite thing is that Andre Machek has continued his scoring 18 points from two point range in any game. Like he has like some different, like he, he'll have like a different amount of threes or free throws or whatever, but he makes nine two point field goals in every game, apparently, which is so weird to me. Like he just nearly always has about 18 from there and then a couple more from other places. Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? But that, yeah. that's not actually the story of this game. That's just the bit that I think is funny. Yeah. So the deal here is that Burgos were actually up by one after the third quarter and Vigo won the final quarter by six, which gave them a five-point win. Mm-hmm. Um, this was kind of as close to the blueprint of a successful Vigo game as we're ever going to see, I think, uh, bearing in mind not playing the strongest opposition in the world. Although everybody who voted on our Instagram polls yesterday did vote for Burgos to win. I would just like to point that out. Yeah, you, um, you, you know how hard it was to explain why you had Burgos or Burgos to someone? I was like, this goes back to a long time ago <laughs> where you just like completely missed, like you just completely underestimated Mediva and overestimated Burgos and you got it so wrong that we've made fun of you every day ever since. <laughs> like, basically. Yeah. So this was... Um... 23 for Fabian Romo, 15 for Agustin Alejos. Um, not the most efficient shooting in the world from those two guys. And the, although they did get up to 40 shots between them, which is kind of what we've decided is the watermark. Um, yes, just because we want people to launch. Yeah. But Vigo did get contributions from other guys. So they got 12 from Julio Vilas, um, six from Walter de Horta. And they got an eight and a four from Christian Seidel and what's this guy's name? Nagwa Mohammed. 
So that's, I think, probably about as much combined production as they've got outside of their two main guys, maybe in a game all season. I'd struggle to think of one where their supporting cast out did what they did here. Yeah, there's been a couple of good Julio Villas games, and that yeah. makes a real difference for them. Yeah, definitely. He's He's been super efficient the last couple of games, to be fair as well. He was six from nine this week. I think he might have been six from nine last week as well. Um, but yeah, he's kind of bringing it. And effectively is a three-pointer playing like a Turkish low. So he's finishing off the easy ones. And yeah, yeah, Burgos side, we went over 21 for Maciek, 20 for Dion Gim, and they only got eight points from Martin Arredondo, who was three from 14. And man, he missed some in the fourth quarter that admittedly had to bail them out on a few of these. But I think there were some makeable shots in there that if he'd have made one of them at any point, I think that might have stemmed the tide a little bit as Vigo were on their way back. But yeah. Vigo's shot making kind of won out in the last 10 minutes. And that might be having two better perimeter creators than Burgos have. Yeah. he He's had a couple of those games now, man. Um, Arredondo, like a couple of three from 14s four from 12s and stuff. And it's just, it's the thing of Lee Fryer goes away. You have to move everyone else up the pecking order and you just need a little bit more from your third guy, don't you? Yeah. And he's just, I think really the weakness is he's just not mobile enough to whatever space is created by Magic or Gim. He isn't mobile enough to use that. He just kind of relies on, hey, I'm pretty big. I can shoot a mismatch over you know, if I get left at the free throw line, I'll probably just shoot this rather than like Lee would have, I think, killed off of cuts or something in this game if the ball was out with Marcek or Kim and they were creating shots in that sense. But they just don't have that element. And now they're a very like rigid offense, I think, at this point. Yeah. But yeah, shout out to Vigo, man. They... They effectively won the we've got two perimeter guys that we think can make shots, make easier looks at shots for their teammates rather than you guys can. Yeah. So cool. on to the next one. Which was Fundacion Aliados, Valladolid, 64, Amivel Reyes Gutierrez, Malaga, 62. This is a good one, man. This was unexpected. Have you watched this one? Uh, yeah, I watched like most of it, like in and out, and then sort of keyed in on the end of it. To Falling asleep happening. on the sofa. Pardon? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, like in bed. <laughs> um, so this was, this was a weird one, man. It was 18-17 in Malaga's favour to start the game. So that was the score at the first, end of the first quarter. Valladolid then went 16-4 in the second quarter and it was like, what is happening here? Where's this Valladolid team been in the past few weeks where I've been panning them? But yeah, yeah, it was a weird one. They Malaga just kept, we talked about this last week, how they've got kind of malleability of lineups and that kind of hurt them in this game because I think they were continually looking for a better lineup rather than figuring it out with the one they had on the floor. And they went to the kind of three perimeter bigs thing that we talked about last week and didn't have really any size advantage for, sorry, any size matchup for Yelma, who 
beat Christoph Kozarina in the battle of being tall and lanky. Um, and Yelmer also did nominate himself for the belt again, although he didn't use his own name or say me. He tried to give a description of himself, so he's in timeout once again. Sorry, Yelmer. Sorry, Yelmer. Get back in there. <laughs> um, but yeah, this the weird thing was after that 16-4 quarter, Malaga then won the third quarter 22-13. So that cut the Vidalid lead all the way to two after the quarter they just had. And it, there was then 18-18 for the final quarter, so that was Vidalid pulling it out at the end after the balance had gone all over the place for the first three quarters. Did you see anything better from Vidalid this time other than Adrian Perez being probably better than we even thought he would be and hopefully stabilising them? Yeah. Uh. Uh, no, Perez is good and like generates a lot of their offense when nothing else is going for them. And I think we just underestimated what him being away would do. Yeah, definitely. So him coming back and giving you 25, like, yeah, you know, 25 and nine, there you go. That's a big performance. And it kind of allows everyone else to kind of, to kind of slot in and not have to play up. Yeah, a spot. And I think the, the interesting thing in that is that Vidalid won this game even with a really inefficient shooting game from Maxi Ruggeri, who's been, for all their flaws recently, has been making shots. I think he was eight from nine last week and has been hitting at least his threes consistently while they've been struggling. But he was six for 18 in this game. Um, yeah, when I when I heard they won this game, my first question was, did Ruggeri go like six from eight from three or something again? Because that's kind of, I forgot that Adrian Perez coming back was kind of what the catalyst was because they've had a couple of games that they won that I didn't think they would, and it was because Ruggeri went nuts. Sure. Yeah, it was a, it was a weird one, definitely. But I think um, this was kind of, with the game seesawing like it did, this very much came down to Vidalid sticking with the lineup they trusted, while I think Malaga were kind of, even when they weren't down by many, there was a real panicked feeling to Malaga as they subbed guys in and out looking for the best units. And there was even, there was weird stuff like when Malaga were playing their three bigs unit and still trying to press with Abdi and Luis Cristan on the floor. And it's like, what, like, this is not your pressing lineup. You have like Pete Cusack, Tyler Baines, uh, that Swedish guy whose name I can never pronounce properly. Uh, Leo. That's the one. Um, and like Jose, um, Jose Romero, is a, Jesus Romero, is that his name? Jesus Romero. Terrible Jesus. names today. Um, yeah, they've got that unit and all those guys to throw out. It was really weird to me that they stuck with their three big lineup and tried to press with that one. It's like, guys, this is not what this tool in the box is for. But yeah, I don't know. I think this was impressive performance from Vidalid and I've been pulled up since last week's win that they had. I've been pulled up by saying I didn't do a good enough job of apologizing to them. So I would like to, we might even make this the soundbite for this episode, but I would like to officially formally apologize to Vidalid and Yelma, who is still not getting the belt. And so, yeah, good win. Good win against a team that has probably the biggest upset win of the season to their name this year. I don't know if this makes this the biggest upset win of the season, if you upset the upsetters. No, I don't know if that's how that works. No, probably not. But either way, congratulations. 
Rydalid, and thank you for making me not have to watch your previous efforts anymore. Shout out to Adrian Perez. Yes. On to the next so, one. Sorry, I just want to say at the very end of this game, it was um, uh, Amivel down by three. No. Um, sorry, yeah, down by three. Put a shot up. Abdi puts a three up, heavily contested, misses it. Tyler Baines gets the rebound, puts it back, gets fouled, but misses the free throw. And then that was kind of the game. Yeah. But yeah, good effort. Yeah, I probably should have mentioned that. The details are important in these close games. Yes. Right. Bilbao, 69. Econi Gran Canaria, 65. Do you have anything to tell me about this one? Do you have any memory of this game, first of all? Yes. Um, uh, Yeah, good, good win once again. Um, Another brilliant David Murray's game. Everyone else sort of chipped in Hasso 18, uh, Gemma 14. Um, me and Manu had eight and two respectively, but a lot of good minutes. Um, you guys, you, you've missed out the bit where you guys had almost as many combined fouls as points. Yes. Um, although I'm looking at the stats here and it's funny because it said Manu played 38 minutes, but he absolutely no, he didn't. did not. Um, yeah, Biel, Garbo came down and filled in and that was that was much needed uh he did great and yeah big big win um jorge sanchez i thought had a great game on the other end of the floor um we did an all right job on everyone else i think uh rose came away with 15 ari with 14 got to this done the stretch and Ari hit a couple of shots in the middle and I was like ah he's just gonna keep slapping these away until we lose a game here but <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um the thing so I was watching this and I think I had it on mute because I was watching it on my laptop while Gabby was watching the TV but you picked up a foul and then you were subbed out for is it BL your transplant kid's name yeah. um and he subbed in for you, and I was like, at that point, I didn't know how many fouls you were on because I didn't have the sound cranked up. But so I came and looked at the um, stat sheet, and so I think that was your fourth one potentially. It was that like that was. Um, I, I I left the game with three of my own fouls and one of someone else's because yeah. <laughs> I really wasn't aware of who they were calling some of the fouls and whatever. But there was one that Manu was on more files than me and I was near him and I just put my hand up and I think they gave it to me. So I was like, all right, fair enough. But I ended up that it was bad news for me as well. Yeah. Well, you, that was, that was the wild thing was you um, got that one, which will have been your fourth and they put BL in for you. So I went to look at the stat sheet to see if that was your fourth one. And by the time I'd navigated back from the stat sheet to the live stream, you were back in the game. And I was like, what's going on here? So I wondered if they'd like corrected the foul to be someone other than you. <laughs> so that it was still your foul. No, what happened sheet, was... But his chair broke, right? Yeah, they put BL in and he took a hit and broke an axle. So just had to come back out again. So I was like, okay, I just have to play. I think it was, God, 13... 14 minutes at that point. 13, 14 minutes on four files, which I'm not used to doing. So that was... 
that was tough, especially when it comes down to the stretch down the stretch. And it's like, all right, you got to play some good defense here, but don't touch anyone. Yeah. Because there's a lot of guys on the other team, like Jorge's really good at like you show him a little bit of your foot plate, he puts a move on you and you just makes you file him. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm not saying like drawing files or whatever. I mean, like he's he's great at like baiting, you, great into at baiting you into actually filing him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he he was very, very good, I thought, in especially the first half. And then we kind of tightened up how we were defending him a little better. Sure. Well, just to, to cap off the fouling situation, the funny part for me was that, as you've just said right there, you put your hand up and absorbed one of Manu's fouls, disciplined yourself into not fouling for the last 14 minutes, and Manu, even with you having done him a solid, went ahead and fouled out anyway. So he would have had six if you hadn't taken the bullet for him on that one. Yeah, so I guess the thing is you put your hand up, I get to play on four fouls, but we get more minutes of our actual starters. Yeah. So it's worth it. But yeah, I don't know. Like I could have actually, some of them could have been my file sort of thing, but it's one of those where you're like three or four chairs are in a mix. The ref blows a whistle because they hear a chair or they see a file and it's like, Hey, I'm going to help them out here and tell them it was me. Yeah. But no, yeah. that's fair. But um, yeah, I mean, I thought BL did a really good job for you guys and you actually closed the game out without Manu for the last, I think it was about six minutes, whereas it says two here. It was definitely more than two minutes of BL playing. But yeah, yeah David Maurice kind of carried on, showed that he deserves the bench unit's belt, which he might well roll over for a second week at this point. He might keep it, yeah. And yeah, the I think the interesting thing for Gran Canaria was they was Luigi in foul trouble for them as well because they took him out of the game super early. And yeah, he had three in the first. Yeah, and they played both Raul and uh, David in his place, and just didn't have the same. I mean, they were struggling for size against you guys anyway, having Hasso, Hasso and Manu in there, but. They struggle for size even more when they take Luigi, who's possibly the lankiest man alive, out of the game for two guys who are basically the smallest guy on whatever court they're on. Yeah. And yeah, you guys were, I mean, Hasso hit some big ones for you where he kind of got inside and everybody collapsed around him and were swiping out. <laughs> he just was like Godzilla towering above everything. But yeah, I thought you guys played well and you were super balanced and. You even came out firing and you switched a couple of early ones on your old team. So I think that's, I know you don't like it when I claim that things are personal as you didn't when I said the Landil and Amit Bogoda thing was personal, but I think both of those when they didn't jump you and you splashed them must have been a little bit personal at least. No, it's not personal. It's like you, you go to a team for two years who like, um, they know you well enough and I know that they know me well enough that if I catch the ball 12 feet from the basket, they're going to kind of let me do what I want. So it was, it was nice to be able to be like, all right, cool. They're making what is the right decision to not like to not jump me on this, obviously. But if I can knock down a couple of these, it helps us out. Yeah, sure. And yeah, that's always nice to know. Cause like anyone who isn't going to get jumped in a game kind of knows they're not going to get jumped on the way in yeah so it's nice to know like hey this if this comes to me i'm happy enough to pull it and i'm kind of content to live with the results of it but yeah man yeah well you showed them 
Did you have any? Did you have any trash talk after afterwards about how they shouldn't have let you go? No. Oh, but it's it's a business. I'm I'm happy where I am. Also, I'm just looking at their stats. It's mad. Obviously, Luigi didn't have a good shooting game, but their other four starters shot 50%, 70%, 42%, and 58 <laughs> Nuts. You guys did well. To, I mean, they shot 49% as a team, right? You guys shot 56 It was a, It was pretty close. I don't think there was really a point. They were up seven after the first quarter. I don't think it was ever further away than that. It seemed to seesaw backs and forwards at basically every point i think the biggest lead either team had was seven yeah they got up like end of the first for a little bit it was we called a timeout near the end of the first it was 2014 and i was like oh no here we go yeah yeah no you showed them good game to be a part of they'll be asking you back next year and you'll get to say no because we beat you ah they won't that's (laughs) all right i'm happy here Right. On as, to long as, as long as here wants me back. <laughs> well, they might do. They've got you. They need to um, have you shooting your obligatory airball air per game to keep the fans invested in the gimmick. Yeah, I was going to say. Right. Although I don't think I did that yesterday. No, I don't think you did, actually. Hmm. Oh, no, there was. I, there might have been one. I don't remember. It's nice that I don't remember. It's nice that I'm not fixated. <laughs> but anyway, next game, Elunion 86, Zuzanak 59. Well, this one was unremarkable, I think it's fair to say. Um, Correct. Let's just say Zuzanak don't have much chance when Amadou is dropping 28. Correct. I think that's a fair assessment. Um, So, Ilunion with five double-digit scorers. So, Amadou with 28, Greg with 20, Terry with 14, Bill Latham and... Danny Diaz with 10 each. And this actually wasn't a terrible scoring game for Zuzanak by their standards. Um, Jose Leap with 22 and then 19 from, what's this guy's name? Adrian Garcia. Yep. And they got a 10 from, sorry, 12 from Ruben Viso as well. But yeah, 59 isn't, is probably above their scoring average, but that's also not going to do you a lot of good when you're allowing 86 and this game was 29-12 to Lunion after the first quarter and I think was basically cruise control on both sides from there. Yeah, Lunion having 56 points in the paint says a lot. Like I think when they're clicking and their outside scorers are scoring and they're opening things up and you're getting obviously 28 from Amadou, the majority of which will have been on the edge of the charge circle or yeah. the edge of the key, like... That's that's all union getting whatever they want, you know. Yeah, is Am- is Amadou the dark horse for the belt currently? Yeah, potentially. Also, Terry be. Terry took nine shots in twenty three minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's which yeah. is very like when we speak about when Rose and Jorge when they play teams like Zuzanak and they take eight shots each, and it's like, oh, it's probably yeah. not because they couldn't get them off. Yeah, it's um, if ever there's a sign of the of a team getting whatever they wanted. It's Terry only having nine shots. Yes. Yeah, I mean, this was just like, we've done this bit several times now, I think, where it's just differences in class and Zuzanak, unfortunately, don't have the depth or general quality to keep up with these better teams. 
And this was actually with a good Jose, good efficient Jose leap game. So he had 22 on eight of 14 and hit five, five from eight from two, three from six from three. Yeah. And this, I think this is maybe a bit of a pattern, but he had a similar thing when they lost by a wide margin to Albacete, where I think the pressure's then kind of off and he's happy to just fire away. And he's, it takes a lot of the pressure off his shooting and scoring, but ultimately doesn't make a huge amount of difference in the game because the only reason he's happy putting shots up is because the game's out of reach already. Yeah. So yeah, sorry, that be it. sorry, Zuzanak, but we, I don't think there's anything more to get to on this one. This is just Illunion a good and have far far more options. Yeah. Right. All right. Should Germany. We shift to Germany. All right. Go ahead. So this was outside of your game was maybe the most entertaining game of the weekend because we had a Trier Dolphins upset of the Cologne 99ers. And this was 82 54, which is kind of wild given that um, Trier generally struggled to. Beat anybody outside of a 55 point Dirk Passavan game? Have you? Mm-hmm. I assume you've looked at the stats for this already because we've chatted them through before the um, before we hit record. But do you know how many points Dirk Passavan had? Uh, yeah, sorry, I just skimmed past it 29. Yeah, so light game by his standards, but you know, this is how the game was out of hand because Dirk Passavan actually only played 38 and a half minutes because he sat out the final minute and a half, which I don't think has happened basically all year. No. So this one was, yeah, it was it was a weird one, man. I was watching this because it was the first game on of the day, and Passavan just hit a few where Cologne tried to press and he caught the ball in kind of semi-transition, just crossing the three-point line into the offense. And... Pressing is kind of a... You would think you could press Trier for mobility because they're not the most speedy team, but pressing also doesn't work if there's a guy on the other team where unless you have a chair on him before he catches the ball, he's just going to shoot it and probably make it anyway. (laughs) Yeah. The amount amount of shots that Dirk shot where you're like, nobody else probably anywhere would have even had the audacity to shoot this. And he was like, hey, quick, get me the ball in this disadvantageous spot and I'll get two points out of it. Yeah. But that's the thing of like a lot of pressing isn't to like keep five people flat in their own half. Like that happens sometimes, but a lot of it's all right. You'll kind of make it up into the offensive half in dribs and drabs and you'll take weird looks and you'll end up taking spots and shots that you're not, I mean, shots and spots that you're not used to getting to. And he's just like, yeah, this is fine. Yeah, I'll figure it he, out. He he might be like the one man system breaker for that. Like that's what most presses are trying to get to. Out unless they're pressing for a steal at like an end of game situation, he might be the best best equipped player in the world to be like, hey, this isn't a great shot, but I might make it anyway. Yeah, one so, of them for sure. Twenty nine for him. Twenty one for Patrick Donner, who had a big game last week as well. So he's had a couple of big ones in a row. Uh, and Ayaka told us we should pay special notice to him. So shout out to Patrick Dorner. And yeah, they 
this was just this was so out of reach that Joe Bezek only played 25 minutes for Cologne, which I don't think has happened all year. And I don't know how many minutes he played against Thuringen last week where he sat out to start the game because they thought they were probably so up against it that it wasn't going to be competitive at any point. But yeah, this one seemed like it would have been a big Joe Beswick game because Trier are pretty small. And yeah, Cologne looked kind of right from the start of the game. They looked like Trier had just kind of punched them in the mouth and taken their rhythm. And 13 by Joe against a team like that is super unexpected. I would have thought he'd have dominated this considering the game he had against somebody like Hanover the other week. But yeah, I mean, this is this is a weird one, man. Trier, bottom of the German league, getting a 26-point win on, I think, Cologne with fifth going into this. I don't know where they'll sit now. But... Yeah, Cologne who have like at least shown their ability to mix it with the the sort of higher end teams yeah. that aren't Landil and Duringen. Yeah. This might be a fluke result, but it's a hell of a watch. If anyone hasn't seen this one, it's definitely worth going back and watching because it was a truly a dope passive and showcase. Maybe, well, not as much as the 55-point game he had, but this was kind of the essence of him captured. Yeah, for sure. Also, hilarious Tria thing, which I... I very rarely catch the tip-offs of their games because they're so early, but uh, Corey Rossi is a small three, or possibly mm-hmm. even a two, and he goes in for the tip-off because they legally have to put someone in for the tip-off, and he waits for the ball to be thrown in the air and then just pushes back the defense. He does that every game. <laughs> I love that. So, up next. Last one. This is from Germany. And this is ING Skywheelers 63 and BBC Munsterland 39. And yeah, this was a really, really weak Munsterland game after their coming off a big win last weekend against Hanover. But they were the second team this weekend to have nobody score more than nine points. Shout out to Zoran Muller, who's the inaugural belt holder. Yep. But yeah. Yeah, this was just after all the, the good vibes of their win last week, they must have run out of juice in this one because I certainly didn't think Skywheelers are anything like the challenge of somebody like Hanover. But yeah, they got got dominated in this one. There was no live stream for this one, so we're having to go off of the stats. But I think it's particularly weird that Tim Diedrich, who's Skywheelers' big 4-5, would be the deciding factor in this game, given that Munsterland's whole thing is size with Matthias Bellas. Yeah, like it would have been interesting to see how that happened. But yeah, I, I it surprises me that size got it done against Munsterland. But he might have just been big and got it done in a different way. Like, well, you know, Tim, Tim Deirdrick did hit three from four, three from four threes. So maybe that was the secret, but. Yeah, he had 23, which I wouldn't have thought Munsterland would have given up at all. Um, outside of that, 10 for Nico Drymuller, 9 for Kim Robbins, and kind of 6s and 5s up and down the rest. And yeah, just kind of one step forward, one step back from Munsterland. Um, I don't really know what to make of this, or was this just a terrible game? Was Hanover last week 
their absolute fluke win and is the real Munsterland somewhere in the middle of these two results, most likely? Yeah, it's most likely somewhere in the middle all of the time. But yeah. Insightful. That is very insightful. But yeah, scoring 40 points, not scoring 40 points in a game. Yeah. It's not going to do it. Rough look. Just a, a quick question as I've been um, been looking at these German teams because everybody who, you know, kind of signs somewhere new in Europe now, the focus seems to be like Spain, 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 Spain for everybody who goes everywhere. In this kind of Hanover down to Skywheelers or Munsterland section of the German league, there's quite a few of these teams who feel like were they just one one additional relatively big name signing away. If they could pluck somebody from some of the Spanish teams, they could seriously mix it up and make a competitive German league team. Oh yeah, I think for sure. Maybe, like some of these guys are uh... put off the idea because the German top two seeds are basically out of reach of everybody. But it seems a shame that these guys can't just pluck one more player to kind of fill out the squad. Yeah, I wonder if teams or if people aren't that interested in going there and being like, all right, if we go there and build and put a good handful of years in, will we be able to make it to the point that we're challenging these guys? Like, I wonder if people think they're so far away that it's not yeah, right. not worth doing. I, won- I wonder if it's a case of like rich get richer and you think, yeah, we might be able to build something special in five years, but at that time, the Landil and Thuringen machines could have you know grown exponentially more because they've got so much more in the pipeline already yeah that could be the case it is a tough one but i think spain's almost so crammed now that even like the worst teams in spain kind of have guys who could probably play bigger roles elsewhere and i think spain's almost become like how in the nba it's like oh every veteran player wants to live in LA even if there's no minutes or opportunities for them and I wonder if some people would be better on an individual level just like picking a mid-tier German team and being like hey these guys could be pretty good if I take my game there I hope we get to see that happen at some point yeah potentially and like I think two things on that are like the team I mean the leagues that everyone goes to kind of fluctuate like it was Germany for a handful of years it was Italy before that and it's been Spain in between like yeah you kind of see it ebbing and flowing but also I think people choose stuff for different reasons some people are just like someone says hey we'll give you x amount to come and play here that's kind of the job done because that's what people want or need like if someone just is like hey I gotta get paid man like fair enough or some people want to go somewhere that will be nice to live somewhere. Like if you've got family to think about, that's relevant too, I think. But like, yeah, young people, I mean, young players who don't have any sort of thing apart from just, I want to go and play in a good basketball fit. I could see it happening in a couple of years. I think it'd be interesting. Like, I wonder who you stick on like uh, Hanover to take them to the next level. I think when I say next level for them to get up to, Landil, Turingen, standards, you'd need a handful of additions, obviously, but because I think the golf in class is significant. Well, rumour has it, uh, this has been reported, rumour has it that there's two um, Aussies looking for 
spots to play together in Europe. So there's a couple of these German teams who might well do well to throw their hat in the ring there. Although maybe those guys would be out of reach contract wise. I don't know what these guys' financial situations is. Yeah, I wonder if that's it. I wonder if just the Spanish teams have more money to throw at people. I don't know if that's the case. Yeah. Like I certainly don't think it's the case in terms of the top two German teams, but like I wonder if the sixth placed Spanish team is more financially well off than the sixth placed German team. I have no idea. I'm just no, kind of... but it would be really interesting to find out. We yeah, I think it is something to keep an eye on because there's go as you say, the leagues kind of ebb and flow, but there's gonna get to a point where there's no there's seems to be exponentially more wheelchair basketball talent available every year. And there's going to get to a point where there aren't enough Spanish league teams with enough money to take on enough guys and give them the roles they want. So it's going to even out at some point. And I hope some of these like middle of the pack German squads can get their hands on somebody. It'd be really cool to see. Mm. Yeah. Cool. I would like that. That concludes our roundup um we've obviously got an episode coming out on thursday where we've got an episode in the bank recorded we're also recording on this wednesday coming up so we'll kind of decide at the time which one's coming out when um i guess outside of that this will be my last episode where we're doing the roundup for a little while so do you want to let people know what you're going to be planning on doing while i'm out the picture yeah, so Mark is away for a couple of weeks. He's going to be having a nice time traveling. And so I'm going to be losing my mind and going crazy with power. And no, I'm just going to try and rope some people who I'd like to talk to in. And we're going to do somewhere between like a guest episode, but it'll be people who've been on here before, who you're familiar with, who might be able to do a little bit more of this sort of stuff like we'll still talk about games and stuff so you get a little bit of that but it will be kind of akin to when i was gone and mark got mendel in to talk about games yeah sure so let us know who you want to see doing that sort of stuff keeping in mind that it won't be a full-on interview like it won't be a normal guest spot because i wouldn't do that without mark so thanks man yeah sorry you can come back and we can interview you awesome sounds good um yeah but by the time I get back, I think my specialist topic in life will have moved on from wheelchair basketball and will be eateries around New York. I hope so. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of people on the internet who've already spoken about that. I think that's been done. You, you might well be right. So, yeah, um, we have recorded with Brad Ness already. We are recording, as I mentioned, on Wednesday. Do you want to give a very brief overview of who our upcoming guest is? Because I feel like this is we're stepping a little bit outside our comfort zone on this one. So it'd be good to, for people to know ahead of time and we can hopefully gauge what the level of interest for this is and what kind of questions people have. Yeah, so this is a weird one. So the next person we are recording a podcast with is a man called Dave Hopler. He is a shooting coach he's an able-bodied uh basketball shooting coach he has coached for several nba teams over the years he has done individual workouts with uh, nba players um including kobe bryant and he has 
the reason I was able to get in touch with him is he has links to Belfast. He played in Belfast when he was younger because um, you could always shoot the ball, but he was also very small and unathletic. So never, never made the big leagues. But I went to see him give a shooting clinic and he was talking about what he does with the little like headset microphone on while shooting. And he like didn't miss for an hour and a half just while talking about it. It's incredible. He holds world records for most uh, NBA three-pointers in a minute with one ball and one rebounder. He has um, a load of different shooting records. He stats all his shots and he shoots 98-ish percent every year. He's about 60 now. It's insane. But he every day he shoots, he counts his stats. He gets someone to write them. He writes them down and works them out on his shooting. It's all online. You get like, I'm not just making this stuff up, but we're going to talk to him a little bit about him coming up in basketball and then probably just ask him a lot of stuff about his experiences coaching really high level guys. Like he's coached, he's been a shooting coach for the Detroit Pistons, the New York Knicks. As I say, he's worked out with Kobe. He's done stuff with Michael Jordan. It like, would help if you didn't just list two teams that suck. <laughs> uh, he was the, he was the New York Knicks shooting coach the year that they took the Eastern conference by storm. So it's okay. fine. Uh, he helped people to learn how to shoot. It's cool. His website has a load of testimonials from like actual good NBA players being like, no, this guy is the man. So yeah, that'll be fun. That'll awesome. be interesting. And anything you want to ask him, this will be a more able-bodied basketball-focused podcast, but I thought it would be interesting. So. Yeah, it, de- it definitely will. And we, we know from like having the stats available for our listeners and stuff that um NBA content is kind of a thing of the past now outside of like random references Um, because most people aren't here for the NBA stuff, but I would encourage you to bear with us on this one because I think this is going to be, you know, you can't, it might be NBA relevant in terms of stories and whatnot, but you can't get any better than hearing, you know, the wisdom of a shooting coach who shoots 98% into his 60s. So do show up for that one. It's going to be great. And also show up for the Brad Ness episode because, man, that guy can talk is my analysis of that one. Oh, yeah, that was excellent. So, yeah, those two coming out soon. James is going to have some guests in. Um, And, yeah, we'll take it from there. And I will be back with you this Thursday and then not for a while after that. So peace out, everybody. All right. Take it easy. Thank you for listening.